So here, here's how it's going to work from, from now to the end of the year. Uh, every Sunday that goes by, I'm, I'm just going to pull two of these seats out for you and introduce to you two fellas that got a seat at Jesus' table. I'm going to explain to you the messy people that they were. I'm going to explain to them the relationship with Jesus as they had it. And ultimately, how all that came together and said, welcome, just have a seat at my table because you belong here. And today, for starters, we're going to talk about a guy named James, and we're going to talk about another guy who's named John. All right, so, so these two guys are business par- partners. They, they work for their father, Zebedee, in a business partnership. Uh, they also got uh, Peter and Andrew. You may have heard of those two brothers as well. Uh, they, they work for, th- for the same business. It must be going pretty well because they got people working for them, and uh, they got a number of, uh, of boats that they do with, with their fishing industry. But the big reason I thought it'd be fun to talk about these two brothers is, first of all, kids, because you're here today. I picked them on your day. So, um, but by show of hands, how many of you have a brother or a sister sitting in your row next to you right now? Come on, just two hand waves. Oh, there's a lot of you. You got to turn them right now and say, bro, this one's for you. Sis, you need a lot of help, but I'm going to learn something that's going to help you out today. That's, that, that's part of the point of what's going on, all right? Kids, I want to give you something that you can use in your family with your relationships with each other. But number two, we're going to talk about these guys first. Because they're the coolest, all right? Jesus gives them the coolest names, uh, first of all. Uh, The nicknames that Jesus gives James and John is Sons of Thunder. Come on now, you got to tell me, like, as far as cool names are concerned, like, I'll take that name. Like, bring the noise, put the hammer down, shake some earth. This is as cool as nicknames can get. Back in college, my college roommates, they gave me the nickname Sweetness. I'm like, What? Out of everything you can pick, you're like talking like cupcakes and frosting on top. What, you want to put a little sprinkles on me and serve me at kids' parties? Like, this is a terrible nickname. But if I got a nickname like Sons of Thunder, man, I, everyone's going to hear about that one because it's, it's cool. Like, like, to put this in, like, like today's cinema kind of terms, like, it's like Jesus turned to one of them and said, man, you're Thor, right? In, in Marvel terms, Jesus just called one of them Thor, and, but there's two of them. So, so who's going to be the other one to bring the noise, kids? Who goes with Thor real well and makes some noise? I'm talking Hulk, right? So this is like Thor and Hulk. You're joining my team today is what Jesus says. I got room for two guys like you on my squad. Just try not to break everything. The problem is they broke everything, okay? So here, here's the first story I wanted to tell you about James and, and John. They're walking through a different kind of area with, with different kind of people around, people that don't know Jesus and his 12. And these people aren't like Jesus and his 12. They're in an area called Samaria. And people of a Jewish background like Jesus and his 12 followers were not liked in that area of Samaria, and Samaritans didn't like people like that. So we read the story like this in Luke 9. The people there did not welcome him, Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus went somewhere and people didn't welcome him? Yeah, it happened right here. Because he was heading for Jerusalem, that's where Jews go. When, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And I bet you they said, right now. But Jesus rebuked them 
And then he and the disciples went to another village. It's like, come on, fellas, 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 listen to me here. Where's the part about love your neighbor as yourself? And you remember, every time anyone ever asked me, what are the bigs and basics of life? Like, what's the most important stuff to get down between me and God? Remember the one world I kept telling you about? Love. Remember that? That was like in every lesson I ever taught you. Instead, you're asking for permission to zap people right now. Like, you got access to prayer, and you want to use it to zap people. What is going on? But that's the sons of thunder doing what sons of thunder do. In a word, they're angry. These are angry people. They got a short fuse. They got a low-grade anger that's burning. It doesn't take a whole lot to trip them up and get it to spill out all over in front of them, even in front of Jesus, even with this thing called prayer. That's story number one. Story number two for the sons of thunder, Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now time out. Kids, if, if anyone says, hey, I'm going to ask you a question, but just so you know, the answer needs to be yes. Uh, but, but before I ask it, that person better be mom. Otherwise, go tell them to pound sand. Because that's just like a dumb way of starting a conversation. Is it not? But that's what they do. Jesus is, doesn't agree to the terms, but he asks anyway, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 7, they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand. and uh, Right at, why can't I read this? Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So they got this appreciation. Hey, someday Jesus is going to have like this Game of Thrones kind of moment. And he's going to sit down there over heaven and on earth. But you don't mind, Jesus, to pull up two more chairs, one on the right, one on the left. We're not picky after that point. Just make sure none of the ten are included or anyone else in this world. Just make sure you got two special spots for special brothers like us. Isn't that crazy when you think about someone asking it that way? Jesus says, to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. In other words, his father gets that central seat. Jesus is going to sit on on, on the right hand. He's not getting into those details. He's just saying. And so in verse 41, when the ten heard about this, uh uh-oh, they become indignant with James and John. And rightfully so, I think you and I would as well. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, yeah, I get what you're doing. In this world, people at the top stay at the top. And part of how they stay at the top is they make sure the people at the bottom realize that they're in the bottom, and they keep that separate distance. You've seen it done everywhere else, and you're doing it here right now, but... Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, he's like, look, look at me. Look at how I've lived. Look at the way that, of, of Jesus that, that, that I'm, I am Jesus. I'm representing this to you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's a term that Jesus uses for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. It's like, fellas, again, look at what I've been doing. Look at how I've been living. If I was into the crown and the throne thing right now, I would have gone for it and I would have got it. But that's not how I'm doing it. And so when you said yes to following me, you're saying yes to a different, doing it a different way. Instead, not only are you angry, you're opportunistic as well. 
just looking to get ahead, looking to make a competition of this, looking to win at the expense of other people losing, at the expense of someone else falling behind. And Jesus, he gives them seats at the table. What's, what's, what's really crazy to think about, okay? When you pull up your chair and you're, and you're watching all this happen, all right? There's not many seats at Jesus' table. But bar, ballpark of 12, right? I mean, maybe he pulled up some extra chairs for Mary, Martha, Lazarus. They seem to pop into the stories. Uh, other guests, maybe the people who are providing the hospitality for the home. And I think Jesus is a welcoming guy. So maybe some extra chairs. But ballpark of 12 chairs. And two of those chairs... He makes sure are reserved for angry people and opportunistic people. That was his table. And how much you want to bet if Jesus was at your table this Christmas, he'd make sure that two spots are reserved for angry people and opportunistic people again. Some of you are thinking, Praise the Lord, because they keep showing up every Christmas anyway, right? Now that's, that's how it goes uh, for a lot of us in the homes that, that we're in, okay? So like, if I was being honest with you, and if my family members were being honest, and we went around the room and said, okay, just, just in a word, tell me about this person right here. We got at least one chair, probably more like two going on three chairs, where if you asked any member of our family to describe this person in one word, the one word would be angry. They're just, they're just an angry person, okay? Like the, the Christmas meal gets served at the wrong temperature and they could have done it better. The mashed potatoes aren't mashy enough or Christmas didn't start early enough or Christmas ran too, too long and not, not, now they're angry about it, all right? Now, on a, on a good year, the anger just comes out kind of snarky, uh, more in the sarcastic kind of camp, not... Not the joke sarcasm, though. You know what I mean? The difference where, like, hey, it's kind of fun to, to be like, no, it's more of the sarcasm where I'm going to criticize you in front of everyone else right here at this table. I'm just going to do it while I'm smiling to somehow buffer it all. But, man, the, the, the sting is felt, okay? It, it's uncomfortable when you have an angry person sitting at your table. And those are the good days. That's the good versions. On the bad days, I mean, the volume's going to go up. The, the, the temperature in their face, you're, you're going to see it change. And you're, you're going to want to see how hard a word can cut just to just, just show up on that day. But still, an angry person got their welcome at the table. Welcome, they weren't put up with. You know, the difference between putting up with someone and welcoming them is, okay, it's, it says that Jesus rebuked them. Okay, he got to correction. It's not like they were welcome. They, they, were, never, they were never justified in their anger. They were, they were never welcomed without boundaries. But still, Jesus says, after the correction, and even whether or not you change, still someone like you is welcome here. You get your seat. Process that for a bit. Meanwhile, thinking about the fact that Jesus welcomed them as opportunistic people as, as well. Man, the story of James and John, when they're trying to set themselves apart from the ten, it's, it's just weird. I don't know how you're going to hang out with your 12 buddies. You're all following Jesus pretty much on the same terms here. And then one day you decide, hey, we're going to do a pecking order thing, and can you just make sure we get a better? It's just weird to ask. You want to know what else is weird? John, one of these two brothers, goes on to re- write the better part of the New Testament for us. He's, he's got all sorts of words, all sorts of time, and he includes details that we don't get from other, other authors. 
details, biographical details about these 12 apostles. We hear about Philip, we hear about Andrew, we hear about Nate and Bart. Like, no one else gives us anything on those four apostles besides their names. John here gives us biographical details so that some of these characters come to life. But then when he gets to his brother James, you want to know what he says? Nada. Nothing. Not a darn thing about his own brother. He writes about Peter's brother, Andrew, but he doesn't write anything about his own brother. Appreciate this. James, his brother, he was the first one to lose his life for Jesus. Of the twelve, he's the first one to lose his life. John went on to be the last one to, 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 to die. And so there's a big time gap here. And he's holding the pen, and he's capturing the scriptures, and he's capturing all these other details of, of other apostles and other people's brothers. Do you think you could have found some positive memory about your bro? Maybe you wanted to include the fact that he's the first one to put it on the line and give, it up, give up his very life for Jesus. This is the brother you were raised with. This is the brother you're business partners with. This is the brother that you said yes to on the same day to follow Jesus with. And now you just wrote the whole darn story like he wasn't even there. Jesus had him there. Jesus thought he was special. Jesus actually included James in that inner circle of three that were closest to him. So he was very, very special to Jesus. There's a lot that could have been said. And John just didn't. Now, I think, the Bible doesn't say this, I, I just think. I think you're getting another little piece of, of, of what you saw the Sons of Thunder doing. Because when, when you live by the game of competition, when everything's a game, when there's always winners and there's always losers, you think that shows up in your family? Come on, now look, look around your family for a second and tell me if competitive people don't compete, each other, compete against each other in the same home. And John's the one who gets to write the last word. John's the one who gets to write the story as he wants it. And I think there's a reason he wrote his brother out of the story. Just my speculation. But I think the opportunistic person that he was came out in this as well. Now, I like to think that over time, you know, being in the presence of Jesus and his Holy Spirit entering those lives, that healing was created over time. And I, I think there was. And at the same time, I appreciate that healing of this kind is different. You know, Jesus comes around to, to, to blind people and, and, and he touches them and he heals them. And he speaks to deaf people and they hear again. And he can walk by a lame person and say, get up, take up your mat, walk home. Did you ever see Jesus go around and say, you are healed of anger right now. Anger will never be your issue ever again. You're, you're just done with it. Or, hey, I know you're an opportunistic person, but I'm releasing you of that today. Go home and walk without being opportunistic. Jesus never said it that way because Jesus knows it doesn't work that way. There, there's a lifelong of sanctification that he's going to walk out with you. And even though there is a healing and a wholeness that God gives you, he knows that it's still you're dealing with the world of harm that you created with the anger and with the opportunism and other things like that. There's always some residue to deal with in this department. And still, knowing that they're always going to have a little bit of the anger with them, a little bit of the opportunism with them, he still gives them a table. A seat at the table where, where, where they get, get to sit. Just like you're finding that some opportunistic people got a seat at your table as well. People that always make it about a competition with mom and dad. Getting the best word in with grandma. 
It's fun to talk about their marriage because theirs is perfect and yours has had its rocks. It's rocky times. Their, their career is exploding and yours just pays bills. Kids, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, 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 the, like, like brother or sister who's just stronger than you or more artistic than you or uses their words better than you. And it's, it's not that, that they're better at it. It's just that they're using it to make you feel smaller and that's what's hard. Okay, so, so here's the deal, right? It's, it, it's hard when you get to Christmas or any other time and, and, and you're sitting there and, and, and you're looking at the spot that they get and you're like, sheesh, I don't like being around people like this. I don't want to welcome them. And I'm not sure they deserve to be welcome. But you want to know what gets harder than, than having a seat around these people? It's, it's, it's on the days and the moments where you realize nope, it's, it's me. I'm the angry person. I'm the opportunistic one. Now, I, I don't know if that resonates with you, but something's going to resonate with you, okay? Here's how Jesus said it in, uh, is it Matthew 7? I'm going to need some help. My notes aren't anywhere near me, okay? It says, uh, or or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your your own eye, okay? Like, you you can't sit over there and judge other people when realizing at some point there's some issue with yourselves. And in clinical terms today, they call this projection, right? That's in, in layman's terms, it means it's, it's always easiest to spot the problems in someone else that are the biggest problems in yourself. And it's more convenient because you get to throw rocks at, at them now and, instead of you. So here's the deal. We, we got to deal with our own issues. And praise the Lord if you're not an angry person or an opportunistic person. All right, but there's going to be some more tables around, the chairs around this table. Just give me, give me the rest of the month and I'm, I'm going to get to you eventually, okay? At some point, you got to take the log out of your, your own eye. And so today, if you know you're the one sitting here, uh, we're, we're the angry people, right? We're the ones who raise our voices to make a point. We're the ones that power up on people around us because it's easier to get someone to, to, to move by scaring them than, than by communicating with them. Uh, if, 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 if we're the ones who just carry like the, the low-grade anger that's ready to pop at any moment, that's not going to give a response, it's going to be a reaction and it's going to be strong. And by the time we're done giving that reaction, we're going to blame the other person for causing it. Like, hey, if only you didn't do this, and if only you hadn't said that, and if only you did your job in the first place, then I wouldn't have gotten angry, so now it's your fault that I'm angry at you and acting like the fool that I am right now. Some of you know this chair. And it's hard to hear that you get a seat and you're welcome here. Others of you resonate with this one. Everything is a competition to you. You are the most competitive person in the world. Everything's a game. And everything comes with winners. And everything comes with losers. And as long as you get to be the winner, you don't think about who's losing. But eventually you become the one who's losing. Because you keep playing the game to impress someone else, not out of who you are, but out of who you're trying to pretend to be. And then they're, they're accepting you, not on the real person you are, but on the game you're playing. Meanwhile, you're, you're leaving other people behind. For you to look better at work, you slide in some comments about people who don't look as good at you at work. 
If you look better in your family, you slide in some comments about some other people who don't look as good as, as you in, in your family. And the next thing you know, your friend base is wearing thin. And your family connections are looking shallow because people don't know how to get some close to someone like you who makes everything about winning and losing. And you keep trying to be on the winning side. And it's hard to believe you're welcomed. It's hard to believe you're welcomed anywhere because you're not even sure you can welcome yourself. You're like, I don't think I'd welcome people like me. I don't even love myself in certain moments, right? And some of us know as well that we're the ones who took it too far. Like, like one day we crossed the line and the anger really got out of control. Or we really not just stepped over someone, but stepped on someone in the opportunism. And, and, and at some point, whether it was at work or home or with family, like someone took away our chair. They said, like, enough's enough. You don't get to be that to me. You don't get to treat me that way. You are out of my life. You don't get a seat at this table anymore. And we might have been angry at about it. And we might have been upset that day because we lost the game instead of won it. But when those emotions settled, we knew they were right. It ran first. People like us don't get a welcome. And we don't get loved because we don't deserve it. And I'm not going to make excuses for you today. And I hope you don't make excuses for yourself. But I am going to tell you that you're still loved. I am going to tell you you're still welcomed. I am going to tell you that Jesus still has a seat at the table for rascals like you. Okay? Here's why. Two reasons why I know you still get welcomed at this table. Because James and John got welcomed. As, as messed up as the sons of thunder were, they got to hang out with Jesus face to face and learn the way of, of love and neighborliness and all these things. And they're still trying to call down fire from heaven. Even as messy as those people were, they still sat at this table with Jesus. And you can't tell me Jesus got less loving since then. So if he did it before, he's going to do it now. I'm going to tell you even bigger reason why. I know you got a seat at this table right here. Okay? It's because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread in front of them and he broke it. He said, guys, this is my body. It is broken for you. Right here at my table. This is where I'm doing. This is what I'm standing in the middle of. And this cup right here, this, this is a new covenant. This is a new promise. And as I pour out this cup, it's, it, it's my blood. It's poured out for you with my life. He got in the middle of it. When you get, really get to wrestling this out, wrestling out that you got a seat at, at the table, not because Jesus is nice, not because God's supposed to, but, but because the brokenness of Jesus' body is bigger than anything else that's broken about you. When you wrestle that out to your, for yourself, till you feel that you belong at that table because the welcome and the love of Jesus was just that big. And when you start going through the list of here's all the things that I need to pay back and I need to pay for, and you're like, 
Yeah, but there is no payment bigger than, than someone's life. There's no penalty bigger than the death penalty. And so when this cup was held out in front of me, and Jesus says, this promise is made in my blood because I poured out my life for it, you got to take your moment and just wrestle it till you say, I believe it. It wasn't a good man who gave his life. It was a good God. And because of that, I get to sit here. Because the blood of Jesus is big enough for me. And here's what's cool, right? It doesn't stop there. How many seats are at this table? I'm not sitting in the only one. You're not sitting in the only one. There's a lot of other seats here. And when you start realizing that the broken body of Jesus counts for this broken relationship over here, this brother that you haven't talked to in a while, this sister who only cares about herself, this this cousin that you can't stand to be around, this uncle and aunt that you want to pretend aren't in your family, this grandparents that you're so tired of telling you what to do, and on the list, and to people that you work with, people that are on your block in your neighborhood, people who are strangers to you that you just loathe and dislike these kinds of people, Anyway, people who used to be friends with you, people who you wish were never in your life. But when you got comfortable in your own seat, but the broken body of Jesus and the blood he shed for you, then you start looking around and you realize Jesus was big enough for them too. We don't have to keep this at surface level. We don't have to pretend and play games. I get to welcome each and every one of those as the messed up and messy people as they are. Because first, the gospel of Jesus had welcomed me. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the fullness of your son Jesus and what he did at the table would be applied to us, not just at this Christmas, but to our whole lives to every person around us, to everyday lives and to everyday relationships. We want something that's good. We want something that welcomes. And in and of ourselves, ain't nobody know how to be just nice people like that. You did something bigger than be nice. So whatever it takes for our souls to realize it a little more this Christmas, I pray that it would happen. And out of that, I pray that people would be welcomed at our table. Whether, whether we're talking metaphorically or quite literally, some faces and family members that are really, really hard for us to sit down and do Christmas with. I pray that this would be a Christmas where it's done with a new kind of welcome and a new kind of love that's only done by what you did at your table for your glory in this world, for your glory this Christmas, for all these families, for all these grown-ups, for all these kids in this room, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for hanging out with us at Lake Point Church today. We got a, got a few more chairs we're going to get to in the weeks to come. Hope you come back to that. Merry Christmas. Go pack. Have a great afternoon. <laughs>